It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village? Because raising your child is really, really tough. What if you are so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there, and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community. And in this podcast on the hard days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on the hard days. Hey guys, have you signed up for my weekly newsletter, Mothers Together? I'm hopeful that you have because this newsletter is so fun. First, I have a Mom of the Week feature, which if you didn't already catch it, these Moms of the Week are just regular moms like you and I who are listening to this podcast, who are followers of this community, and they want to find their people. If you send me a picture and a little bio about yourself, I'll feature you in our Mothers of the Week column, and moms can contact you and make instant friends based on the fact that we are all raising these out-of-the-box kids. And another feature in my newsletter is a recap of the week's podcast episode, as well as resources, because we all need those, and it's so helpful to just have more information. You really can never have too much when you're trying to raise the kids like we have. And so every week I will put in a resource or two, whether a book or a podcast or a blog or whatever, for you to check out. So if you haven't signed up for this newsletter yet, head to my website, ontheharddays.com, and enter your email address. You'll be getting this newsletter every Friday. And as always, thank you so much for your endless support. And now, on to the episode. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to have this conversation with mom, Kim Heilig, today. She and I are twins. I think we're twins. Um, She is a licensed therapist out of Atlanta, Georgia. And when she and I talked on the phone, I literally wrote down and circled it like three times, Kim is my twin, because it feels so good when somebody understands you and your child. And my listeners can relate to that. I think that's why many of them do listen to this podcast, not only because of my journey raising my 2E son, but in hopes of finding mama guests like you that blow their minds and they go, oh, thank goodness, it's not just me. And that was the reaction I had when I talked to you. So Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a gift to be here. Oh, thank you. So take us back, start from the beginning. Um, we'll, we'll process this full page of notes, <laughs> but, but let's start from the beginning. So tell us your story. So I, um, obviously I went to school to be a therapist. I got married soon after I graduated and, um, you know, just like many of you, a few years later, I had my first child and what a ride it has been. I have three kids now. They're all so wonderful. I have two boys and a girl, um, but my oldest has introduced me to the world of two E or twice exceptional children. Um, and it's been a very 
funny place <laughs> to stand in both worlds of motherhood and um, professional world of the counseling field and the therapy field and the 2E world. So with my son, you know, it started with tantrums that never ended. I mean, they just never ended. And I, as a therapist with all of these tools in my back pocket, you know, I tried them all. I tried them all. And it wasn't that they never worked. It was actually harder than that. Some days one would work. Some days, none of them would. Some days I just made up things or I lost my mind. You name it. I mean, um, that was a long, dark part of motherhood for me until I could name or started to have some names for what we were walking through and twice exceptional giftedness. Um, those are names that settled in our house. For oh, my son. Yeah. Well, you know that you're going to be speaking to my soul this entire time, <laughs> starting with tantrums that didn't end. I mean, oh. that's it. That's it. At 10 months old, he stood mm -hmm. up, couldn't, couldn't move. He didn't crawl or scoot or anything, which I didn't realize was not good. But if you're first, you're like, right? what am like, I doing anyway? I have nothing to compare to. Yeah. So he just stood up and he screamed and he screamed and he screamed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is weird. Like this went on, but yes, those meltdowns. So mm -hmm. after that, once you had uh, a name for it, twice exceptionality or two E, which most people have never heard of, Yes. including myself, I'm sure. I had not either. Coming from graduate school, <laughs> never heard the phrase in my life. See, that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> that's something right there. That's something right there that you did not hear of that term, that it's not talked about, that it's not spoken of. So what did you do next? And, and where did this journey take you in raising him in those younger years? So I... The first time I ever really heard it sort of was his preschool teacher called me in. You know, so I start the traditional route. I put him in preschool. I'm trucking along thinking it's all me, right? I mean, what other framework did I have but to say I am failing my child somehow? Um, and that is, as a therapist, I felt that probably more acutely. So I, the preschool teacher called me in one day and said, you know, he's hiding under the table. He's sensitive to noises. I wonder if he is on the spectrum. And so from there, we got a sensory processing diagnosis and started OT um, when he was before school age. And it wasn't until kindergarten where I always had like a fear of kind of putting him in traditional school. There was always some something in me that was questioning that. And yet I, I didn't know what else to do. So when we started kindergarten, um, he, the teachers loved him. They had no issues with him, but he would come home exhausted and melting down all day. And the toll that took on us as a family was huge. Um, and so I started doing my own research. I had dug into the homeschool world and kind of heard some language about differently wired kids, even though I'm doing public school. Um, and that's when I came across 2E and just something resonated deeply within me but I didn't know what. And when we got to first grade, I was like something, it is something is definitely going on. So we paid for the full evaluation. I was extremely picky and who I chose to evaluate him because I knew that what we were dealing with was very nuanced and I did not want the wrong labels because um, they're easy to, it's easy to do. 
to pick the wrong label. So we paid for the full evaluation and we learned that um, my son has a very, very, very high IQ and learning disabilities severely, dyslexia, dysgraphia, and something called dyspraxia. So those are the places we landed. And so I have homeschooled this year um, and have given myself a year to kind of learn these whole new names and what they mean. And, um, you know, we've figured it out bit by bit. Wow. So how, first of all, how are you managing the homeschool uh, life? Yeah, because that's always a question. Yes, it is. Um, you know, not perfectly. We have actually, because of the harm, I think, done to my son and in, in having these learning disabilities and making himself truck through school the best he could, we've taken a lot of the year off. What good is a high IQ, right? If you can't take yeah. some time off. Yeah. and breathe. So it's looked like a whole lot of play this year, a whole lot of time outside, a whole lot of what I hope has been healing for him. And now he has seen a tutor three times a week and we've, you know, dipped into some things here and there. So it's not like we've done nothing, but it's been slow and that's been my hope for him. And that's okay. And, and that sounds like unschooling a bit or just kind of it is. letting the child. Healing, that's what I call it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. And I think about that a lot. And I'm an elementary school teacher and currently not in a position to be home, but I've thought about it a million times. And I wonder, and I wonder, and I wonder, he likes having his friends at school and there's the social piece and the mm. learning about other people piece and, and having empathy for other people piece but your child and my child, their cups are filled in different, maybe, uh, you know, slightly unordinary ways. Yes. And if he goes to school every single day without having his cup filled, because he just wants to be out in the woods and he just wants to explore and he just wants to breathe. Yes. Why can't I give that to my child? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. And I think what you are feeling and what I have felt um, there, I think part of my son's giftedness is emotional giftedness. He is highly emotionally gifted and that didn't come up on the report. So hear me say that all depends on a mother's intuition of her child, but I can tell you right now, he's highly emotionally gifted. What does that look like? Well, so, you know, in 2E kids, they develop at all different rates, right? Mm -hmm. So in some ways, he can have these incredible, breathtaking conversations of these high-level emotional things. That I'm like, how do you even remotely <laughs> understand what you're saying? And yet he does. You know, even we were reading Harry Potter and he was talking about Professor McGonagall. And he said, you know, she is someone who he, she won't believe anything unless she sees it. And that makes me so sad for her because Harry and his friends are telling her true things, but because she can't see it with her eyes, she's missing the whole thing. And I'm like, what? That was last night. You know, these are the things that just take your breath away. Yeah. They're beautiful things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then there is that intensity that in some ways it's just so hard to hold that gift. I, I have that gift and it's hard to hold as an adult. And so to be his age, um, it's exhausting in some ways. 
Um, so in emotional giftedness, what I've learned, there's layers to them and the layers contradict themselves. So the part of him that goes off to school and loves the social piece needs actually. So a, a dark side of homeschooling for us is that lack of structure around social things it helps him so much. He thrives. Um, so that layer is fully met there in a great way. But then the layer of the sensory, the exhaustion, the overload, even the opposite gift of that, of your friends being upset or someone's fighting on the bus and that feels overwhelmed to you, the layers actually contradict themselves. So it's costing him even while it's helping him. And the same is true for me, whether my son is in public school or homeschool, I feel those layers and feel their contradictions. Does that make sense? It sure does. And I think that that is something that's twice exceptional child in a nutshell. Yeah. Contradicting pieces. And we'd say, well, let's try this. Okay. It works a little and it takes care of this problem. This part. Yeah. But But now it's creating one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and that, (laughs) oh man. And you know, placing the fault on yourself Uh and it's like, well, you're trying these things and they're not working. What is wrong with you? Because they would work for other kids. I imagine that decision that you had to make versus filling his cup socially and keeping him in school versus pulling him was a very hard one. I could, I would, I'd struggle with that. Yes, it was very hard. Um, and I think so much of the journey as a mother of two kids is recognizing those layers and, and figuring out how to put drops in the bucket of each one and making your piece that, um, you can't fill every bucket. Yeah. And so to make those choices based off what buckets are easier for you to fill, and which ones aren't um, is, is kind of a helpful thing. Wow. You can't fill every bucket. Yeah. No, you just put in drops, <laughs> just drops in the bucket. Now you have two other children. I did do. you pull them too? I did. I, and that was part of what I could live with. Um, I knew I couldn't go a million different directions and be okay. I yeah. just couldn't. That is not me. I go deep, but I don't go wide. Yeah. So everybody came home for this year and next year we're looking at doing something different. So, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to go with these things. You know what? And I appreciate that because I think it points out that you are never locked in, in no. general, as a mother to any child, no. you're not locked into anything. You can switch year to year. There's many different types of schooling. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I like that because I, I think well, I really would like to pull him for a year and let him catch his breath. Mm-hmm. but then he can go back, you know, and then he can go back. Yeah. Back. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Now, when you and I had our other conversation, we talked a lot and I really felt this about the feeling of being patronized uh, about being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about that. Yes. So I think a lot of that does come down to those layers Um, In the counseling world, in the therapy world, what I've seen happen to these mothers over and over and over again is that they will go to a counselor for help, whether it's for themselves or their kid, and the counselor will be speaking just on one layer, just on one thing that's going wrong with your child, but they are certain that it's going to fix all of it. And so you're left with this kind of vague feeling of like, oh, that missed it, but 
but it also didn't miss it. So do I put my money here? I mean, do I put my energy here? And so you do, and then come to find out it did help that one layer and then it caused other problems. And it, uh, you spent a lot of money doing that. And so you, you end up feeling just alone and that term gaslighting kind of like you heard me, but you actually didn't. And I believed you and I, I, in believing you, I lost some of my own voice because the whole time it was telling me something's off here. Mm. And so if you play that out with family members who don't understand to eat, even a spouse who doesn't understand to eat, and then the people you're paying for help, what happens to you? Honestly, as a mother, what happens to that internal voice or intuition especially for mothers who are emotionally gifted themselves that have a strong gift in this place. It's been hit so hard that you, you kind of lose sight of how to even listen to it anymore. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. (laughs) That, that is speaking to me. I, I tried so many things over the years that did not feel right. They didn't feel right but it was my hand. I didn't know what to do anymore. Throwing my hands in the air and someone would say, try this, do this, do this, you mm-hmm. fix this one behavior. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tackle this one behavior. And in the meantime, I put a big old dent into our relationship and our connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the ways that I tried to handle his meltdowns and, and aggression a few mm-hmm. years ago. And mm-hmm. I've had to pay for that. You have to rebuild trust with your child and yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so what happened to you is that when someone says, this is how you handle a meltdown and this meltdown is very real in your life. Okay. Like you need all the help you can get with that meltdown. So that person says, do this, fix that meltdown. So you go, and I promise you it'll take care of all of it. Right. So you go full in on that layer of that meltdown, but that other, those other layers, the connection, the, um, quality of the relationship the costs of your other family members, the part of your son that's fully out of control anyway, and it, it doesn't work that way anyway. All of those things took hits, but you didn't know that because someone told you this will fix all of it. And it was true on one little layer of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I'm feeling yeah. that guilt. I'm feeling that guilt still. But then you're guilty. Like I did it. You know, I did the whole thing and clearly it's me. I mean, where else do you go with that feeling that it's you're disconnected from your help and your support? Then it's me. It's Of course you do. Yeah. And then people back that up with, well, if you just tighten yeah. discipline and if yes. you set stronger boundaries. I know how to fix this. Yes. Right. right. So if it's not working, you're right. It is you. And how did that go for you? Especially when your son was younger being a therapist and, and did you beat yourself up and, and how did you work through that that mm-hmm. mental health piece when he was a toddler and those tantrums you better believe I beat myself up and then you have the um the guilt after the fact of when you realize oh actually this wasn't me and man did I make it so hard on both of us yes. <laughs> I feel guilty for that yes but thankfully I was kind of able to deep dive into this these waters and start to, you know, wrestle with my own layers and my own guilt and come to a a better place. And I have had the privilege of working with two moms in my office. Mm. 
-hmm. without even knowing some of them don't even know the language um and so i credit so much of where i've gotten um, to from learning from them and that's on social media they're wonderful two imams that have gone ahead of me who have um wisdom even in their pain and the things that did not go well for them um, they have all they offer such wisdom I would love so to. I had a yeah. huge benefit I was gonna say I would love to get some of those names from you um and mm -hmm. and connect um because and I might just move to Georgia <laughs> I might just move to Georgia <laughs> so I could come knock on your door it is so hard to so find hard. people who get it. And this is such yes. a complicated, twice so exceptionality is so complicated. So, it's too vast a term. That's one of the yeah. huge problems. You know, a twice exceptionality with emotional intelligence is very different from a twice exceptionality where that's the struggle or learning disabilities is a whole different thing than autism. I mean, my goodness, the term is too broad. Yes. And there are, and at the same time, there's still not enough language to name some of the nuances that women are, are navigating within yes. this world of 2E. Yeah, wow. Now, one of the things we talked about was the importance of understanding your neurodiverse child, especially when you're going to reach out for help and having mm -hmm. a therapist who understands or a counselor or whatever. Yes. Um, talk to me about that piece. Yes, so. Hey guys, this has been an amazing episode, but I just wanna take a minute to tell you about the launch of my bonus episodes which I think you probably heard about recently. In these bonus episodes, one per week, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about our lives. I'm talking about my kids. Honestly, sharing it with you has been therapeutic for me, but also, you know, I don't want to get too lost in my own story and lost in my own head. I think you know what that's like when, you know, you're raising these out-of-the-box kids and you kind of get lost in your own head. Sharing my struggles and my journey in this parenting mission I'm on well, it's been really nice and it's been good for me. And I've heard from some of you that it's been good for you too. So I wanted to offer a once a week bonus episode that's just me. It's um, a reflection of things that have happened. It's an update on things that are going on. And I would love for you to take a listen to those bonus episodes. So now instead of four episodes a month, you're going to get eight. You'll get four with a mama guest and you'll get four with just me. To access those bonus episodes, you're going to need to go to patreon.com slash on the hard days. And there you can find those bonus episodes along with uh, Zoom calls and a couple other things that um, are optional for you, of course. But I would love it if you would consider supporting my mission of bringing this community together and supporting me that way. So if you're interested, head over to patreon.com slash on the hard days to check out my bonus episodes. And if there's anything else that I can do to support you further, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Now back to the episode. Again, it's almost like, I think I use this analogy, you know, in the counseling where we all love our personality inventories, like the Myers-Briggs and oh, yeah. the Enneagram, and we all want to know our numbers and, and our letters and all those things. And, and when it comes to 2E kids, it's really good for you as the mother to kind of put the words together that make up your child when you're looking for help for them um, and to trust your gut. So none of this can happen unless you as the mother have done some repair work with your own intuition and your own gut, because Ooh. we've all taken hits. Tell so me more about that. So 
you know, I, when I work with 2E moms, one of the analogies I use a lot is that for traditional mothering of traditional kids, it's like this path in kind of an open field and you're walking along the path and this is what motherhood is. And there's some rocky places. There's some hard places for sure, because mothering is just deep work by itself. But um, for a traditional mother, her own wounds and her own story and her own family background, her own marriage, um, all of these things that the baggage she brings to mothering, well, she's in a field. So she can step off the path and make mistakes. And it's not too big of a deal to course correct and get back on the right path, right? And she feels guilt, right? When she steps off of the path and all the things any mother would feel. But it's, it's fairly easy to get help to get back on the right path. It's fairly easy to hear or sense when you're on the, off the path and to get back on it without much damage done. Now, two imams, so I love them. They are on a path where the sides are steep. They're just steep on either side. And that's so not fair. So just hear me say that. It's just different. And so when your own family story or your own baggage or the things that are hard in your marriage, like any other marriage, they cause you to kind of step off the path where well, you fall and your kids fall because it's steeper on either side. That's just the nature of being a two-way mom. Does that make sense? It does. That's a great analogy. It's a great analogy and wanting to reach your two-e kids and catch them. Yes. For it and taking that step off the path normally shouldn't be that big of a shouldn't deal. Shouldn't be a big deal. Right? No, it shouldn't be a big deal. But it is. But it's a bigger deal to a two-e kid within themselves. Yes, even then. And so when you go to a therapist who doesn't understand that this that the path is steeper on either side for you, when they want to work with you on your story what they see is, oh, she's crashed and burnt, right? This is your fault in some way. Like this is your work to do that you haven't done or you wouldn't have crashed and burned. They don't realize that the actual landscapes are completely different. And so without meaning to, they'll help you do the work on that layer, but without meaning to, they leave you feeling like I've just seriously screwed up. Yes. Mm. And so- in some ways, that's also true in looking for help for, my, for your kid who is 2E. You need someone who gets their world. And there's more at stake in that than there would be for a traditional kid who gets to pick any help. There's more help for them. It's easier to find. But you want someone who gets the 2E world. If I had taken my son to a play therapist, it would have done more damage than if I had not. Now I could read on and on and on and on again about how good play therapy is online for all of the similar issues that my son may have or um, you name it. And yet I knew when I met with one that this was actually gonna feed the wrong layer that I'm looking help for, for help for. That, okay, wow. So first of all, I'm glad I didn't do play therapy. <laughs> we, well, we, and for, for another mom in 2E world, it could be the right thing. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. so yeah. too broad. I but knew for us, for us, yes. And I knew, knew for us too, from the research I've done that that was not. And I like the way you just said, it's, it's getting to the layer that you need help on. So that's a really great way of thinking about it for me. 
and maybe my listeners. Let's just pick one layer. And it's, it's the layer for, for me, it's the one that brings my son happiness and joy or lack thereof. Yeah. You know, it's the mental health piece. He needs to feel positive about his existence. And yeah. that needs to be number one. Mm-hmm. Now taking, you know, disciplining or, or slapping some consequences on big mm-hmm. meltdowns may quiet the meltdowns. It has not made him happier in his own skin. So it quiets the meltdowns, but it costs you on his sense of self. Yes. Yes. That, that layer takes the hit. That layer's help. That layer takes the hit. Yes. Okay. Wow. What a good way of explaining that. And so I did that choice a couple of years ago, like I said, and I went ahead and tried to solve the meltdown problem with toughness and authority in it, <laughs> like, like a dum-dum, like it did quiet that mm-hmm. behavior temporarily. It's back, but temporarily, mm-hmm. but it destroyed his sense of self. Mm-hmm. And it honestly destroyed mine, it destroyed mm-hmm. my sense of self. Um, and I'm still dealing with that guilt. And I think a lot of the moms who listen, they're always playing with that too, this up and down, you know, um, am I in charge? Where do we parent? And and where's those Mm -hmm. lines of parenting? Because there's no books that really talk about them. Don't know any other kids like them. And all the counselors that we see in person or any sort of teachers, whoever, they, they make you think that it's you, you just need to do X, Y, and Z. And to have someone or that you should do this all the time. Yes. Oh, do this tool all the time. Yes. As soon as you, I heard, as soon as that behavior starts, the very beginning Mm -hmm. of a line, you jump right on it and you take care of it. Okay. Yeah. That was damaging, damaging advice from someone who did not know twice exceptional child and neither did I, but I did, I put in the work um, to figure it out. Yes. Ah. Yes. So do you, I mean, this is a bit of a personal question. Do you, do yeah. you provide therapy for your own child or do you send him elsewhere or neither? I don't, I mean, I mother my child yeah. from who I am. And so that is going to include, you know, kind therapy type things, but by and large, you know, and actually the type of therapist I am is not solutions focused. So it wouldn't even translate uh, if I wanted to, um, I, I sometimes with my own son, I feel a little bit like an emotional ninja, you know, I'm like feeling the one layer and with emotional intelligence in particular, what I have noticed is that there can absolutely, they, they tack on manipulation to their misbehavior, right? It's not just, if only it were just the meltdown. Like it was when he was two, when I made all of those mistakes and you made those mistakes of, you know, trying to shut it down and it didn't work. Well, now when they get older, of course they tack on some type of manipulation because they're emotionally gifted. They can read the room in a really great way. And so I've learned that like, I do have to use some traditional parenting technique for that, that layer. And yet it goes to a different layer. So in the you know, in the moment one day I might use some traditional parenting because I can feel that emotional manipulation. And then other days that's not there. And it's a full blown, you know, meltdown, whatever you name it. It's like you get good at pulling out whatever you need to and uh, addressing it in that moment. And then I follow back up with uh, whatever layer I knew cost us that I couldn't 
address in that moment. So if I, for example, enter in on the, the manipulation layer and I can just feel that he is both out of control inside or getting there and he's also manipulating it and he's feeling caught. So it just ups that ante. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll choose, okay, I'm going with the manipulation thing and a consequence is given traditionally, just like a traditional old school parent. Uh, and it does some, you know, it costs us on another layer. So we let that lie. I let it die down. And then I'm circling back around and I'm telling him stories of when I got up later, when it's way hours later, I'm talking, I'm entering back in on the layer that costs that I couldn't help with at the time. And I'm dropping in the bucket, little things about, um, man, it's so hard to get consequences and man, I'm so proud of you for taking that. And I had him too. And this is a story when daddy got one from his dad. And usually I try to pick a funny one, something to kind of come back to his sense of self, if that makes sense. Or I can flip the whole thing. And in that moment, choose a, a whole different layer and come back for the other one, right? So I give the consequence later, but I can't let them all slide by. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. I love the idea of circling back. Mm-hmm. I also am thinking in my head about maybe sitting down with my son and explaining the concept of the layers and how sometimes I'm going to have to, especially if it involves safety and, you know, if there's physical aggression involved for everyone's safety, I may have to, I'm going to have to address that. That mm-hmm. may end up hurting you on a different layer. And so I'm going to circle back around layer later and try to fill in that gap that I didn't get to in it because I used a traditional sort of method, I guess, if I'm I'm interpreting what you're saying. Yes. And I, you won't even need to tell him because you'll live it and living that alongside of him will communicate that safety that you're after. Now, like if I choose to wait on the consequence, you know, I may say, Hey, we know that it's not okay to do what you did. And we'll talk about it later. And that's kind of all I'll go into, but um, you'll live those those layers in a good way and he'll catch it. Would you say that parenting in this way with a twice exceptional child, which is kind of moment by moment and not mm-hmm. and really actually straying from consistency? Yes. Do you feel, which of course goes against everything that traditional parenting <laughs> methods say to do, being consistent mm-hmm. is number one. But I'm with you. I feel this because every situation is different and it depends on Mm -hmm. if he is hungry or if he is tired. Yes, it does. Right? Yes. Do you feel that you have noticed positive changes in your child in the way that you do this? I really do. Um, It has been a long journey to get there. Um, But our seasons of dark clouds is what I call when kind of... (laughs) for whatever reason, things just seem off the rails and it's everyone's struggling more. I call it a dark cloud season. Those are fewer and farther between for us as it stands right now. Um, I know that probably changing, growing hormone, all of those things are gonna cause a whole new um, set of skills needed from me or ways to enter in is a better way that I like to say that. Um, whole new ways of entering in that uh, we're not there yet but for now um this has been helpful does he yeah sorry go ahead 
I, because one of my, just me personally, one of the things that I, that was super important to me was that I, I maintained some sense of authority with him, no matter what happened. Um, and we've worked very creatively for authority to be kind of a norm in our home, um, if that makes sense. I'm interested in hearing more about that. That's a tough one for my son. He really struggles not having full control of every situation um, and often says to me in his anger about how frustrated he is that I can tell him a direction and he can't give one back <laughs> or, you know, mm-hmm. like, I need you to do X, Y, Z. It's time to go to school or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. he, he feels, he feels like a child in that moment. He does not like that relationship of parent to child. Mm-hmm. He wants to feel equal and it, it makes him feel, I, I think a stronger sense of self. So how do you establish your authority, but also still be inconsistent in meeting him where he's at. Yes. So authority can be communicated so many ways without words. And it's the without words things that I think emotionally gifted kids catch in space um, without even language for what, for them to be able to tell you what they're catching. And so we have looked for ways to be teachers like you know, fishing lessons with my husband or hiking where they hike behind us. A a lot of this I pulled from, oh goodness, Gordon Newfield, I think it's, am I saying his name right? It's called Hold On to Your Kids. And it's about why peers matter. It's supposed to be about why peers matter. Ha ha ha. But of course, as a Dewey mom, I don't read it for that layer. I read it for all the others. Anyway, a lot of what resonated with me in that book was the need for parental authority and the lack even as a culture of that being an okay thing. And so when, when my son would be out of control, I mean, you can feel the pull, like help be in control. They need us as authority. That doesn't mean I have to have all the answers. Um, so a lot of what we do for authority is not spoken. Um, mm. It is lifestyle orienting type of things, if that makes Yeah, I'm really fascinated by this. And I had written this down. I forgot about it. So you just mentioned it. Have him hike in the back when you go hiking. This was something total mind blow on this. So explain that concept of going in the back when you're hiking. Yes. Um, And again, this came from hold on to your kids. And And he said with his daughter, a teenage daughter, she was having trouble emotionally. She had hit a place where she was struggling. And so he made, and she didn't want his input one bit right? And she's a teenager, but when you have an emotionally gifted child on some level, you're parenting a teenager. So these principles apply. So he, they went hiking and on purpose, he put them in a place she'd never been before. She didn't know the way. And she had to rely on him to make it through the woods in that way. And I simplified that because that made me feel tired too. Like when we go on a hike, I'm going to make it fun and exciting and kind of a game that you all three have to stay behind daddy and I while we hike. Oh, can't go out in front. I'm so sorry. No, that's the game. Mommy, daddy, your leaders. You know, we find a way. And again, I had to pick the day. If it was a dark cloud day, it was never going to happen fully in that way. I had to pick the day and the timing for this to be a win. Um, But we find ways. Now I have 
even had a conversation that I would have anticipated having with my 14 year old, but I've had it before where I have said to him, um, you know, there are things you know that I don't know. There are ways that you are so smart, but the truth is you are still a kid. And in that design, you are meant to be the kid and I am meant to be the grown up. So you're gonna have to choose even with all the things you know to trust me first. And it will go better for you if you do. So we have had even had some of those immediate conversations about authority. Wow. Now he's not your 2E. He is. Oh, mm-hmm. he is. Mm-hmm. That's my 2E1. Oh, he's he was seven. only, he was only seven. No, he's seven. But oh, I'm saying seven. there's a, oh, when he's, a part got of it. Him. Got it, got it, yes. got it that I am parenting that is acts can act more like yes yes okay now I understand because I was thinking yes my son feels the same way also at age seven wanting Mm -hmm. to feel as if he has the answers and and really struggling with that but you also said you chose to to have these conversations and to go for that hike on a good day you know um it can't be whenever you want to spring it on them um and I also remember yeah sorry go ahead on a dark cloud day, we go hiking, but he can run as far out as he wants. On yeah. dark cloud days, it's different. See, that's that's the piece. It's the inconsistency. It's the in, inconsistency. Yeah. The and tool won't work the same. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think when I talked to you, I had just come back from Target and I had taken him with me, just him and I. And just, we, we really don't do this that often, actually, especially during COVID, but we went to Target and he's following me because he doesn't know what we need and what aisles we're going into and maybe even holding his hand some of the time. And that allowed us to sit in a role of authority for me. So that's, that's speaking to me. Authority does not have to look like Mm -mm. dictatorship, you know? No, no. Yes. And I think that's even in the, you know, the whole movement of just kind, you know, presence and connection over anything else. I love that. But I still would say uh, authority matters too. They're both, and kids are hardwired in a way for authority. It's almost like you're, that. you're bridging the gap between traditional parenting and kind of the stereotype yes. of peaceful yes. parenting, which yes. is like very loosey, sort of uh, loose flowing. It's only about the meltdown, but in, and for some kids it is again, it's the same concept for some kids. You are right. Emotionally gifted kids though. I guarantee you, even if it started there, they will learn to hook on some, uh, some things to those meltdowns for their own advantage. Yeah. So it's okay to be an authority for your child. You are an authority. And, and if there's an under, again, that goes to undermining the voice of women and mothers, goodness, you are. Whether you want to recognize that or not, you have power and influence over your child, which is another way of saying authority. Wow. Now it's probably helpful to have your whole house on board in these ways, yes. which can sometimes be tough. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm very, um, thankful that I I have a spouse who gets that and who has done his own work in those places uh, because they're hard. It's different. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. So if there was a mother listening who has a 2E child or maybe even not, but is resonating with a lot of these behaviors and they don't know where to start, 
and how to show up for their own, for their kids, mm -hmm. what would you tell them, you know, first and foremost, what would be the first steps? That you as a mother are the most undervalued resource here. Just full board. You as a mother are the most undervalued resource in here. So before you um, look too hard at this thing, you find outlets, help, places where you can go and feel like yourself with your own wiring. How can you help your kid with his own wiring if you've lost sight of your own, which is easy to do in motherhood for anyone. And it is incredibly easy to do mothering neuroatypical kids. You matter so much in this process, more than you probably know. Wow. Wow. It's about trusting your gut and recognizing I need to connect. I'm not looking to punish this time versus next time. I've already told you a couple of times. I can tell that you're manipulating. It's time for a consequence. Yes. It can be different. It can be different. But all of that hinges on you being able to listen to your own gut and intuition and to be able to do that standing against the millions of other voices through social media, all the, you know, that are telling you different ways. I mean, that takes tremendous health. It takes tremendous energy. And so there needs to be time and space in your day to show up for yourself. It's huge. The most important work you can do. Wow. How do you show up for yourself? Well, on, well, so that has two, two answers on dark cloud days. <laughs> Um, <laughs> on uh, easier days, on dark cloud days, um, there is it, an old practice of labyrinths in old churches. You can sometimes find them in the grass if you visit old pretty churches. I love old pretty churches. And um, you'll find these labyrinths. And people used to pray that way. They would walk the labyrinth. If they had something that was bothering them or they felt stuck on, they would walk it over and over and over again. So on dark cloud days, my driveway is my labyrinth. I am, I wait for it to be dark so neighbors don't think I'm crazy and I run up and down it. It's that simple. I mean, that's, that's it. But I need to sweat and I don't like to sweat. I'm not a natural exerciser and I need the repetition and I need to just pound it out because these things can't be solved. Um, so dark cloud days, the driveway labyrinth is how I, um, and no podcasts in dark cloud days, no information taking. In dark cloud days, I'm showing up to be quiet for myself. I'm, I'm showing up for me and I don't need any other voices on dark cloud days. Cause I'm wow. doing the best I can and you're doing the best you can. And so many mothers are caught in the rushing and the stress and the overwhelm, especially on dark cloud days. Especially on dark cloud days. And there is, um, and I think I even mentioned this to you, a lot of times with my clients, I'll give them Disney movies to watch as homework. <laughs> um, and one of the ones that I think can really resonate for all of us who are two imams is in Frozen 2. You know, Elsa has to go, there's this voice that she hears and she has to listen to it and she has to uh, follow it. And it takes her on this wild adventure to dark places too and beautiful places. But there was a warning in it that, you know, you could go too far. 
you can go too far, you can go too far. And she went too far. And for us as two imams, we can look at our kids and we can consume information and we can go too far. And that's not fair. Again, same analogy. The road is steeper for us. <laughs> so we, of course, are desperate for the information, desperate for the help in a way that a traditional mom could never understand. So I say that without judgment or fault whatsoever it's only natural as a mother but we can go too far because of the pain of it and the and the hardships of it and we love our child so sometimes I'll give that as a homework and um, just ask hey watch the movie what resonates with you um, and when we go too far you can kind of feel it in your body you can feel the exhaustion, you can feel disconnected, you can feel numb, you can even get cynical. These are all kind of signs. You can get really uh, angry and not come out of it because of course, angers, all these things are normal. So on dark cloud days, it is an act of stopping where you cannot fix it to go run your driveway up and down or to go watch a sunset in complete silence. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So good. So on sunny days, I get to add in the things that make me me. I love to read. I love to sit outside and hike. I love to be present with my kids. I can be present fully with my kids on non-dark cloud days. And it's a joy and I love it. And that, so that looks very, very different. I get to get off by myself. I'll go thrifting for good books or whatever it is. Um, that's what I'll do on non-dark on non dark cloud days. But there are things that make me feel like me. And that's the ingredient you are looking to hold on to as a mother of a two-week kid. You need to feel like yourself. Mm. And, and if I've... you don't anymore, then again, that, that theme of we can go too far, it could be, there could be an invitation for you in that. And it's damaging because you almost feel like a robot and you feel... It's depression, actually. It really feels like depression for me, at mm -hmm. least when I'm disconnected mm -hmm. or yeah. and overwhelmed with negativity and not having made any progress, maybe a dark cloud season mm -hmm. um, of which there can be. I would love to use your term dark cloud with my own children, mm -hmm. if that's okay with you. I think that my daughter actually would love to hear. And she, I, I think she could be taught to say like, I'm having a dark cloud day mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and for my son as well. And I can say, look, you're, you're talking about how moms on dark cloud days, which is hundred percent important, need quiet, need whatever it is that we need, but maybe the truth same for our kids and being able to say, you know what, you're having a dark cloud day. We're going to skip baseball practice tonight. We're going to, we're going to skip your homework tonight. I'm going to let you breathe in whatever yeah. way you need, which might be yeah. being outside. It might be reading a book, whatever it is. Yes. That is a, um, it's a similar concept. Again, you can just see the way I read books. So I read Simplicity Parenting is a book I love. Uh, what I took from it <laughs> is so uh, opposite of like their full picture. But one of the things that I took for it are soul feeders. You, have you read that book at all? I, I believe I have that book and I've, I don't know if I've read the whole thing, but that sounds familiar. So they go into this concept of our kids have soul fevers. Well, for two week kids, I call it dark cloud, way more intense than just a fever, whatever you want to call it. But I loved that, that concept that even 
neurotypical kids have soul fever days where they they're just there's no explanation for it but it's just a rough day and what do what does any child need when they have a regular fever well they need you close by they need you giving them healthy food they need comfort they need tv um you know whatever so on soul fever days or dark cloud days for us i i would have and I, I plan to do this next year. If we're not homeschooling, I take them out of school and I don't care how many absences you want to give me. I mean, they don't know Tui. They don't know anything, the school about him. But we had, I don't know how many absences because I could tell this is a dark cloud day. Mm-hmm. And today I'm not going to send you to school and I'm not going to, now this comes to the emotional intelligence. The more I say to him about that, the more I'm opening the door to him for him to manipulate it. Correct. So I don't, say fully like oh okay I'm taking you out because I can tell you're having a hard time I just as the mother and this goes to the authority I can tell you're having a hard time so I don't need to consult with you about it you're coming out in the woods with me today and I'll celebrate it like it's a good thing and all those things and I can mention you know you seem like it's a hard day you know it doesn't mean that you ignore it but there's a way again drops in the bucket about authority that you can Kind of couch that. Does that make sense? It does. I, I wonder if sometimes, yeah, I, here I was thinking I'd be explaining a little too much perhaps because I do think my son would take advantage of that. Uh-huh. That's what's so, they also get it. So I get the yeah. why you're doing that. They get it in a way that another kid wouldn't, but uh, that other layer takes a hit. That's right. But if I say, hey, I've decided and I'm your mom that, you know what, you're going to go for a hike today. You're coming out of school. I mean, he will think it's like Christmas, like that would be really, really rewarding for him. And so maybe yeah. that's something that we should do. Yeah. Yeah. And if he, if it became too conscious to him, and so kids aren't supposed to have all of this consciousness, right? Yes. That's the authority piece that we are meant to hold for them that gets so unfair and emotionally intelligent kids because they have this capacity for it. And in some level they need it sometimes, but then on the other. So um, if he knew, oh, she's taking me out because like in part, because I, I don't, I'm not myself or I'm, I'm feeling strong feelings or in his mind, which is true. Yes. I think eventually he could use that <laughs> to his advantage yeah. because he's in highly intelligent. Yes. And that's not his, it's not even his fault either, but it is your job to teach him and to have the authority over him to not use it that way. You were the first person to have mentioned this phrase that is now, this one just hit me, that kids are not supposed to have this much consciousness. And it's our mm-hmm. job to, to hold on to that for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Just wow. My child is, yeah, has way too much consciousness. There's nothing that both my twins and she might be emotionally gifted. I don't know. She, mm-hmm. she, you know, it looks totally different for her and I have, I bet yes. thing, but she is unbelievably aware. So mm-hmm. aware. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was as a child being very conscious. Yes, there it is. People. There's a link always. Yeah. That's why I always love working link. with the mothers. Give That's me what, all the mothers. Y'all are amazing. I'm, I'm right here. I'm moving to Georgia. <laughs> Let's go. I'm getting in the car right now. <laughs> hopping on a plane. Um, my report cards always used to say, uh, Megan is a conscientious student. I was always, mm. well, I knew that that kid came into school upset today. And so I'm going to make sure that you I give him space. It. And I, you know, so my daughter's like that, but they shouldn't 
be to a point. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got too much that they are thinking and processing. This mm-hmm. is the first time I've ever heard someone say that in the way that you just mm-hmm. did. And so how can mm-hmm. I hold consciousness for them? Mm-hmm. How do I take some of that from them so that they can calm their brains? So all of that comes down to your healing, your gut and your intuition and your authority about your child. Because, and I, I do, I do this part of kind of our anxiety as a two E mom. So here you say I'm preaching to the choir is that when we get anxious, we're explaining, right? It actually, a lot of times when I am pulling my son in all these things, it's because I'm trying to figure it out almost from like an anxious kind of place. Does that make sense? That's how I am all the time. (laughs) Okay. So what, so what happens is it undermines your authority with them. Does that make sense? It is so good. This is why even as a teacher, I've struggled with authority over the years. And I'm, I'm a, I would say I am a good teacher, but Mm -hmm. one of my weak areas is is that it's exerting my authority in a positive way. And so I, it's, it feels like I'm either needing to be a disciplinarian kind of, which I'm not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, that's not what we mean. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what we mean. Or I'm explaining so much because I think that that's going to bridge the connection between us. But in fact, mm-hmm. they figure me out real quick and then use that to their advantage. And so, the, yes, the connection is bridged between you by, oh, he's having a dark cloud day. So, Hey guys, today, we're going to go be in the woods all day. No school today. And then you go out in the woods and you hike and you play in the water and you do that with them. And he's still off the chain. Okay. So you're still having to use other tools. It's not like that just becomes this idyllic homeschool world dream or whatever, you know, (laughs) that's not what I mean, but that's very different from I could tell you're having a very, very hard time. So what I wanted, you know, of like making it all conscious, it's very different. You're using the tools. Wow. Without telling him. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. (laughs) My mind is totally blown. So it's me. I, not my fault. It's not, it's not that, but no, it is not because again, traditional mothers, none of this has to matter. Right. So right. I mean, not in the same way. Again, they can still do all of these things and the impact is minuscule or normal or whatever. That's not the case with emotionally gifted. Yeah. So I would like to use the tools for me in order to take some of that consciousness off of them. Yes to allow them to clear their minds, which are so full all the time. Yes. Wow. That's really good. Be the kid, the two week kid, just be the kid today. Wow. I'm, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm blown away. I, um, I, I, like I said, I need to move to see you and on a regular basis, but, but it's so comforting because you do have a child like this yourself. So you, Mm you 100% get it. Um, So how can people find you and reach you if they want to thank you for this? uh, If they have a question for you, what, what, what would you like to share about yourself in order to be contacted? Yeah. So I, um, 
I one of the margins I don't have is social media <laughs> much of, but I I'm getting some more here and there. Uh, but you can I have a website. When when is this going to be? So probably uh, in about a month or so. Where okay, are we? good. Mid, yeah. Okay. I'm like I'm switching over websites, so that's oh. why I'm asking. So by that point, it will just be Kim Heilig H E I L I G dot com. And then I'm on Instagram at Kim H counseling, but there's not much there. So but <laughs> there you go. That's okay. Yeah. Wow. I really can't thank you enough. Really. Like I'm, I'm feeling this one. I'm going to be thinking about this conversation all day. I can't thank you enough, not only for joining, but for all of the work you have done in this, in, in the world of twice exceptionality and um, giving these tips, it feels like you're giving me gold, like with every single thing that you said, I have to listen to this multiple times. And I know I have listeners who take notes on my podcast episodes, and it's really going to be digesting really important stuff. You don't need to be consistent all the time. In fact, perhaps you shouldn't because it doesn't fit every, uh, moment. Um, you need the tools, really, not really giving them all to your kids. Your kids don't need a tool belt that's so heavy that it's weighing them down with a thousand no. different strategies. If I could pay therapists to work with them, like, so I don't do this kind of work as the therapist. I work with the mom, with your soul and your heart. But if I, I'm like, please, child therapist, meet with me and give me the tools and let me, yeah. you know, yes. Yeah. Because we're saying here, and I, I, we went to OT, we did OT, we got a whole uh -huh. tool belt, There's little pieces of paper. Yes, we've done it three mm -hmm. different times in his life. And we have 30 little pieces of paper that he can do this and he can do that. He's not going to do any of those things. None no. of them. No. So I've got to show up for him. And yeah. I have to use the tools to, to feel each situation out and act accordingly. And that is golden. It's so good. Wow. Wow, Kim, thank you, thank you, thank You're you. I, uh, I'm blown away. What a nice, lovely person you are. I'm so glad to have started this friendship with you. And um, mm -hmm. wow, when you find that person who gets it, like you don't want to let them go. So I will definitely mm -hmm. be in contact with you. I would love that. Yeah. And thank you for the work you're doing and bringing us all together. I mean, nothing can change without us coming together yeah. and moving this whole thing forward. So what a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to talk with me personally, where we can chat and just get to know each other like old friends, I would love to do a discovery call with you. Go to my website on theharddays.com and click on schedule a call. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out. Not to mention, please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you. That way, the podcast will be shown to more mothers. And finally, you can find me on Instagram at On The Hard Days with dots in between each word, or in my free Facebook community, On The Hard Days Podcast and Community. If you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey, I encourage you to reach out through any of these means so that I can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need.